Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So I'm excited to continue our 2020 vision series. Uh, we started that with the new year. I think it was January 5th, our first week. So if you missed that week, I'd really encourage you to go back. Uh, catch up, hear what we talked about that first week as we just talked about how God wants to have vision for our life. Um, and yes, it's a new year, often a great time to hit reset on some things, uh, but but we can do this anytime, right? Anytime the Lord would want to give us a clean slate, a fresh start. I think it's just a great opportunity though at the, at the beginning of the year to really just come in with some perspective. Um, that's why we do the 21 days of consecration, just help us to kind of kick our spiritual tail in gear, get ourselves back on track. And uh, man, we've we kind of had some some lethargy from the holidays, maybe just some stuff we've eaten. You know, people go start the diets. What is it? It's about it's the 19th, so everybody's gym memberships just about run out. Uh, they started that January one, and they're probably not going anymore. I don't know. So I I don't go any time of the year just to keep it the same, right? I want to be consistent. So I decided if I, I'm not going to do it consistently, don't do it at all, right? So. But we're excited. We're going to continue talking about, I know, I know you guys couldn't guess, I know, based on this figure, but true story. But we're going to be talking about um, just a little bit of the build of what I believe our vision is here for this church, um, but not just because it's for the church, but because I believe it's for every single one of us as individuals. Um, I believe that there is, uh, God's word is, is thoroughly uh, consistent with what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. And last week, um, uh, you heard him talk about encounter, the first section, and today, connect. And next week, we'll talk about grow. Um, we'll just build on these things. But the first week, in case you did miss it, uh, we talked about vision and just how even Helen Keller said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Few things worse, she says. And uh, I think it can be terrible to just kind of stumble through life and not really have a whole lot of direction. You know, where, where am I headed? Or, man, I hope things work out. I'm just kind of skating through. Or, man, I hope things get better, but I'm not really going to do anything about it intentionally to really lean into God. And, you know, that's just kind of that, you know, you may call it blind faith or, or whatever, but, but I tell you what, that's not what I, I see in Scripture that God has for our lives. And so for us, I want us to have vision and purpose and to live with meaning and intentionality. And, and I believe that God wants to breathe that on you or maybe refresh what had been there before, uh, or even is there now. And so I want us to have vision for our life. And, and I even talked about how the Spirit is so crucial in participating in this process. And John Calvin said this, till the Lord opens them, the eyes of our heart are blind. Till the Spirit has become our instructor, all that we know is folly and ignorance. Till the Spirit of God has made it known to us by a secret revelation the knowledge of our divine calling exceeds the capacity of our own minds. And he's just, he's really leaning in and elaborating on till the spirit, till the spirit of God, unless God's spirit illuminates what he has for our lives, it can stay stale and stagnant and not really have life and meaning for us. But I want us to have that explosive spirit revelation this year that we really have heard from him, that we've allowed him, we've postured ourselves to let him illuminate it. And this is Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter one for that church there in Ephesus. He prays this, not for unbelievers, 
But for those who are already following God, he says this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that we would have that spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so I'm praying that for, for myself. I'm praying that for each of you. I'm praying that for the church as a whole, that this would be a season of awakening, that this would be a season of renewal of new life. Amen. You with me? I believe that for each and every one of us. And Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except, I'm sorry, except that he draw him, except that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. And so I see this work. I see it having both a dependence and a responsibility working in tandem together. What do I mean by that? I believe that there is this aspect of we've got to be utterly and completely dependent on God but yet there's this responsibility that we have to responding to his work in our life. And so it's not an either or for me. It is, God, you've got to draw us. You're the initiator of this process. You're the one who desires me more than I could ever even imagine desiring you. In fact, even if there is a little bit of desire in me, it's because you put it there. So there's this utter dependence upon God in this whole journey, in this whole process but yet there's this responsibility that we have in responding to what he is doing in our lives and in our hearts. Amen. And so I think a lot of times we, we get this mixed up and we're just like, well, I'm just not feeling it. Well, then, then lean in, ask God to really develop that within you. If it's not there, ask him to place it there. Ask him to fan the flames. And we have an opportunity to do things that will help fan the flames. And you heard me tell a little bit of my story of even when we kind of can get off path or kind of lose our, our gusto, so to speak, spiritually, our, our, those flames seem to wane. It happens, doesn't it? Because life happens. But when we find ourselves there, we may go back to some of the spiritual disciplines that we've known. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive into God's word. I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna pray. And those are all good. But it all has to be rooted in being dependent upon God and not self-sustaining spirituality because that won't be life-giving. I have been there, tried that. I don't have the t-shirt today, thankfully for that one, but I could. And so as we transition, we talked about last week about encountering him. And part of the vision is that the Lord wants to meet with us. He wants to encounter us. And, and I believe that encounter is that, is that divine moment where man, where things had been normal and, and I thought this was reality. And then all of a sudden I see the heaven, the heavenly vision that he has for my life. I see what is really real. I see that he begins to explode things within my heart and my life. And, and those are overwhelming moments that define us. And those are things that kind of keep us in between the fence posts of our life. They're the ones that keep us on that journey and moving us towards what God's original design was for us. And I believe that the Lord wants to fellowship and meet with us. And these are big moments. And then these are small moments. I got to say I do to my wife 13 and a half years ago, almost 14 now. And, uh, but every day I still get to say those same things in my heart. I get to say that I will serve her, that it will be in sickness and in health. It's been mostly sickness here lately, and, but I still will, right? And, and for richer or for poor, wherever we find ourselves, I still get to renew that covenant by the way I live on a daily basis. And sometimes I do great and sometimes I'm still working on it and, and others, you know, we nail it and, and, and mostly she always gets it good and, and right. And, but we have an opportunity even in our counters with the Lord to say, hey, today's a new day. Today is a fresh start. Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more intimately. And he wants to speak with us. He's the gentleman already sitting in the chair in the living room waiting to be with us.
And if you're looking for some books in this new year, man, I would really encourage you. Brother Lawrence writes a book, Practicing the Presence. Small, it's not real long. It's a great book to start your year out with. There's others that talk about knowing the rhythms of his grace. And and I would really just encourage you, if this is a season where you just need to hit reset, man, really get some of these resources. Let them begin to feed you. Meditate on the scriptures that they're full of. And watch what God begins to do as he renews your heart for him. And as we built on uh, encountering him, today we're going to talk about the fruit of connecting to God is recognizing his people around us, is recognizing that we need to be connected to one another. When we encounter the Lord, we see that, man, I am dependent on him. But it doesn't just stop there because we still live on this earth in a fallen nature that needs one another and needs his people. And I don't know about you, but this is something that I recognize God has designed me for. Maybe not the way my personality is wired. I may not think that as an individual, I need others, but I recognize real quick that if I'm going to be the best version of myself, it's going to be because I have allowed other people to speak into my life. It's going to be because I've allowed my weaknesses to be stronger because of someone else's strength. I need community. I'm not my best self as a lone ranger. And I don't think you are either. And the fruit of connecting to him, I want you to see it comes even all the way from the very beginning. And if you know much about me, I love to talk about the original design. And I want to go back to that first chapter in Genesis. If you've got your Bibles or if you're dialing up your phones or whatever you brought with you, you can go with me to Genesis 1, verse 26. Excuse me. Verse 26, he says this, he says, Then God said, let us make man in our image. Already we've got a plurality of who man, singular, is being made in. So just kind of stay there with me in your mind. And after our likeness, God speaking of himself in the plural again, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So immediately God is saying, let us make man, let us make mankind in our image, in our image, in an image of plurality. That God is saying, here I am as a triune God, as one God with three distinct persons. Let us make him like us. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And uh, if you haven't heard me say it before, this is really the verse for me that I go back to on what is at stake when we talk about how God has created us, both male and female, to be designed in union. And I'm not anti homosexuality as much as I am pro God's image. Okay. I don't, I don't need you to know what I'm against as much as I need you to know what I'm for, because it's going to explain what is at stake. And for me, it is who God is. that's at stake. And God has designed us to understand and everything in this world is out here to distort that. There's so many perversions, the spirit of the air, our culture. Right now, there are so many things running rampant that, that, man, hey, our culture doesn't get it right. We didn't get it right 100 years ago. We didn't get it right when Martin Luther King was marching streets and doing sit-ins. But we can still become better, and we need to recognize, you know what is, the, what is trending is not what is necessarily truth. 
And what is sure is God's word. And what is at stake is his image and who he has created us to represent. He has created us to represent him, both male and female, the fullest representation when we are in unity together. And so he goes on, and this is what I love. And this is where I'm going with being connected. He goes on into verse in chapter two, because if you, if you realize when God created everything, he created this, and then he said, what about it? It was good, except when he made mankind. He made Adam, and then the Lord God said, it is not good. This is the first time in scripture where the Lord, and especially in the creation narrative, says something is not good. We should listen up. We should pay attention as to why. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer on understanding the theology of first, meaning where we see some importance placed on the narrative of how God uh, brings to light out of Scripture in the very beginning, maybe his, his desire for us to fellowship with that. You, you hear me go back to that because there's a lot of weight, I think, to be placed on the theology of first. And here is the first time where God says something is not good. And what was not good? That man should be alone. And yet so many of us think that, no, I don't, I don't need anyone else. I can do this on my own. You, you know, I can, I'm probably actually better. It's actually going to take me longer if I do that. I mean, and those all may be true. But what we don't realize is that may not be best. That that is not even good in the economy of how God has designed us because we were never designed to operate alone. And I'm not saying every, all, all the single ladies, uh, I'm not saying that all the single ladies need to go out and find you a man, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. Hear me clearly here. But we are designed to live in community and in a community of people that have been made like us. Spiritually, in this house, like us. Thus, we would be unequally yoked. That's where Paul gets that, that, uh, that dynamic is that we would be unequal. We would not be in the same faith family to be yoked in likeness. And we would be unequally yoked and it would tear on who God has designed us to be. But we are meant to be in community and in fellowship together. That's why the ladies tonight, all the single ladies and the married ones can come out at 5.30, Miss Tara, right? Soup and potato bar. Man, I want to crash that party. And, and we come together in community. We come together in community and things like that so that we can have fellowship together, so that we can realize that I am better not alone but together. Amen. This is God's design. Are you with me? And so we continue to look at this. And, and I love how, how, how Moses really writes that in this first chapters of, of Genesis. And, and I want to move on because even after the flood, we see that. Oh, did I miss a verse here? No, no, that one's fine. You don't need to know about the beasts of the field and all that. After the flood, you got Noah and his three sons. Anybody know their name? Ham, Sham, and Japheth, right? So if you're going to have a baby soon, great names to choose from, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. And so it records scriptures like this, that from the coastlands, here's how the earth's going to be repopulated. People will spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. This particular verse is talking about Japheth, but he repeats it for Ham, he repeats it for, for Sham, saying that God, since the beginning, has been grouping us together. We have found commonality. We have found likeness. We have found similarities. And, and I don't know about you, what you're, usually my best friends are a lot like me. 
right? The ones that I really get along with, oh, that I love spending time with. We have so many similar interests. We can laugh together. But I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be married to them. Would not, I would drive myself crazy. Not saying my wife, who is very different from me, doesn't drive me crazy sometimes and vice versa. But boy, the compliment nature there uh, of, of what that's different. I just went on a rabbit trail there. But but usually we do. We get together with, with those that are like us, those that share common passions, common interests, uh, things that we all enjoy together. And so here we see that, that God, even from the beginning, even starting over from scratch, is getting them together based on these common things, these common languages, their clans, their nations. Thus, when Abram is, is called out in, in chapter 12, he is called to, to leave his family and to pack up with his family and to go to a place that he doesn't know about. I'm going to show you a new land. You and your family are going to start over and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be in this with you and your family. Your family's going to multiply. And then we see the tribes come out of his grandsons, his great-grandson, you know, you see the lineage coming from Isaac, Jacob, and then pff, you get the 12. And you end up with these tribes. And the tribes, now, when we get together with our people collectively, when we are together, we, we benefit, and we also have some consequences, right? I mean, you get the, the tribes, if you get some sin in the camp, so to speak, man, everybody feels the effects of that. Uh, boy, a couple of Levites really took it serious and slayed those that were in sin. And man, now guess what? Hey, God's called us to be the special ones. Let's go. And so you, there's, there's benefits and there's consequences. We see that when we are even gathered in our tribes that, hey, we're identifying with this, this likeness, this tribe, this family, this family of God. There are things that we feel. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we mourn with those who mourn. Paul would write this as he talks about the body of Christ to the Corinthians. And for us as a body, I think about that. Because for me, when I started to get connected as a 15-year-old, I was leading a small group for the first time in my life with one of the worship pastors in our youth group. And we began to lead this group together. And I didn't understand what was about to happen for me. I didn't understand that the, uh, the young man that my, my mom would drive by and pick up because I couldn't even drive myself to the small group I was leading. And then, and we would pick up this boy on the way. And then we, another girl who lived by West High School on our way to this house out in Bearden. And we would get there. And I didn't understand that as I was leading a group of people that I was going to be connected to, that I was going to start understanding and identifying with what they were going through in their lives. So I began to struggle with things I had never even struggled with before. I began to have feelings of just anger and just outburst. And, and yes, I was a teenager, so it could have been normal. I don't know. I didn't know that. But all of a sudden, I began to unpack that this was some of the things that was going on in this person's life in my group. And I began to struggle in another area. And I began to hear that that was what someone else. I had no idea that when you step into a place of priestly duties, you are standing in intercession which is simply going between God and, and the people. And I began to do that unprepared, unaware that when I stepped between that, I was going to begin to see that God was trying to heal some things and, and bring some freedom in areas that I had never been in myself. But it brought so much assurance to me after I floundered through that semester of small group and recovered a little bit that God would say in his word, we do rejoice with those that rejoice. We do get to feel the celebration, but those that hurt, we also hurt with them. We do identify, as the prophets would say, in intercession that way. 
and we begin to know how to pray and how to preach and how to walk with and how to live life, that's the fruit of discipleship, life upon life that we can do together so that we can see freedom in all of our lives. Amen? Life that is lived to its fullest, I believe in God's, in God's scale that he has designed for us, isn't always just a bed of roses. It can get messy, can it? It can get real messy. But I believe that it is the best version of what he has for us. And so we see some of these Old Testament shadows, and we realize that they are simply, simply f- uh, foretelling what really the spiritual realities are to be like. And for us in the New Testament, we can experience this to its fullest because we have the Spirit and we have a God that is with us and in us. And we can begin to walk in not only communion with God in a way that hasn't been known before because the veil is removed, but in a way that we can walk in communion with one another because we have the Spirit within us. We can truly encourage. Imagine with me that the jailers... The jailer in in Acts, he hears that salvation is coming for him, but not for his family, right? That story would have played out so different. And there's so many other passages of Scripture within the New Testament that talk about how you will believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now, I think there's such a, a precious promise in this that, man, we can believe for those that we represent, that we come into the kingdom with, and those that maybe we are even leaders and stewards over, that we can see them raised in the faith, that they can be ushered in because we're bringing them under us in our tutelage. I'm not saying that they're saved because you're saved. I'm saying that this is how God wants to bring in families. He wants to usher in a movement where we're seeing restoration happen in homes that have been broken, that when a mom gets saved, man, her kids begin to experience experience the Lord in new ways. That when this jailer goes home and shares his story, that his wife wants to know, how do I have what you have? That's how you and your household are saved. And I believe God's going to do that again. And so when we look at Acts in the New Testament paradigm, Peter ends his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he gives us a few notes as Luke is is pinning this. And he says, hey, this is what the people began to devote themselves to. Began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're listening to the word that is being expounded upon. They're devoting themselves to fellowship. That right there is being connected to the breaking of bread. Two of the four things has to do with how we are going to commune with people around us. How we get off of our rows and we get into circles how we look across a table instead of at the back of someone's head. This is what they devoted themselves to. And we wonder sometimes, well, why aren't we experiencing the same thing that the New Testament churches? Are we devoting ourselves to the same things? Are we devoting our, well, I come to try, maybe I'm devoting myself to, to teaching. Ah, fellowship, I'm really busy. I don't really have a whole lot of time to cram other stuff in my, my calendar. Have you seen it lately? Yeah, I have. <laughs> But if we want to experience God's fullness and what he has for us, we need to devote ourselves to the things that he has said are most important to us. And you were not designed to ever be alone. You were not designed to just walk this with you and keep your kids at the extracurriculars or your husband, you know, lunch packed and and the kids, you know, fed and so much more than that. You were meant to be connected to the body of Christ, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer which I think all of these are very communal in nature. And if you're like, well, I don't know, Michael, I don't know if that's really what they did. Well, he goes on just a couple of verses later and says, and day by day, 
attending the temple together. You think coming on Sunday is rough. What if we started opening the church seven days a week, right? Or if we started meeting in homes seven days, and day by day they attended the temple together and broke bread in their homes together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Community is what caused them to continue to grow. And the next verse talks about how, and the Lord continued to add to their number daily. Don't miss the ingredients that go into that. Don't say, man, God, we want you to add again to us daily. But I need you to do it when we come together on Sunday mornings and maybe when I join a life group and and not live in community the way that God has destined us to live. We were not to meant, meant to do this alone. You with me? So let's talk about the benefits of connecting because I'll, I'll just be honest. I won't buy into things and do things unless I hear the benefits sometime. I want to know how is this going to pay off for me? And there's some payoffs. Uh, and, and I want us to talk about how, how things are just better together, how there are certain things that are just better together. And so let's just talk about a few things that are just better together, right? Milk and cookies, right? Those are definitely better together unless you're lactose intolerant. Sorry, Levi. Christian, Yeah. What else is better together? How about peanut butter and jelly? Yeah, yeah. Pizza and ranch dressing, macaroni and cheese, right? S'mores and a campfire, I think. What about the people that we even pair together? It's Batman and Robin, right? It's Tom and Jerry or Tara. Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Tom and Jerry. It's Lilo and, yep. It's Thelma and Louise. It's Laverne and Bert and Sonny and... Oh, y'all are good. All right. It's Ken and Barbie. It's Romeo and Juliet. Things are just better together. We associate things in pair. We, we like to see the camaraderie. We like to see the interaction. We like to watch the shows, the cartoon. As a kid, even growing up, this is what makes sense. This is what I want to eat these together. Unless you're one of those that everything on your plate doesn't need to touch. And I'm going to eat one at a time, which I got you. Okay. One at a time. A little OCD. I get, I'm there. But there are things in life that are just better together. And I believe that's what God has for us. The list could go on. And whether you're a Christian or not, I believe that you will be able to benefit from the idea that you're better together. This is a principle that you could apply to anyone's life and see that community has such great results because it's the way God designed you. There are people that are not saved that are living in an aspect, not a full redeemed aspect, but they're seeing the benefits when they're living in the original intent that God had for them. And so I want us to be connected in community. And for me, I have to tell you a little bit of a story. I was at Berean just up the street, um, first through sixth grade. And at the time that schooling went through eighth grade. My sister was a few year, was four years older than I was, and so she had already finished eighth grade. Right? She'd done her eighth grade trip with Berean, went on, tried another school, didn't work out, ended up at CAK out in West Knoxville. For sake of transportation, my parents said, "We're pulling you so you can ride with your sister. You're going to CAK your seventh year." So all the friends I knew, right? I'm starting over. You can look at this however you want, but for me, it was an opportunity to reinvent myself. I had a reputation at Berean, not one that I would want to brag about, not one that my teachers, maybe you've even heard some of the other stories where I had to go back and apologize to some of my teachers, sending some of them, I feel like, in early retirement. Uh, I was not, and I wanted to live up to what 
people expected of me. I, hey, they expect me to be the class clown. They expect me to get in trouble and to goof off, Maurice. I need to live up to that. You ever felt the pressure that you've created for yourself and no one else is expecting it but you, really? But you think you've got to continue that way? Well, this gave me an opportunity to kind of reset all that. And I got there in all this newness as a seventh grader, and I'm like, who am I? Who am I going to be? Now I see Tim over here is already the class clown. Not you, Timmy, but there was a Tim in my class who had already filled that role. They didn't need a class clown. They didn't need another one. So I was like, okay, that's not going to be me. And then I realized, you know what? I can, I can be whoever I want to be. So I just kind of laid back and just decided, you know what? I'm going to focus on something I've never done before. I might be a better student. <laughs> and it didn't go real well. It didn't last real long. I started hanging out with the people that I would play soccer with. And that's where I found my, my group of friends. Because we all need them, right? We all need a group that we'll identify with. And so real quick, Nate Irwin and uh, Adam, some of the other guys that I was going to play soccer with for the middle school soccer team at CAK, that became my group. We started practices and uh, warm-ups even in the fall um, before we even started playing and had tryouts in the spring. And, man, I was on that starting team, Maurice. I was so excited. This was great. Things were happening for me. CAK, what? And, and I had found my group, but I had been able to recreate myself. Well, let's fast forward real quick. I have a real encounter with the Lord my freshman year of high school. And I think that the experience that I have had is so isolated to me that I need to go ahead and create barriers. I don't understand this as a high schooler. I don't process it this way. But I begin to distance myself from my friends, saying that they don't live the way that I'm now living. And so I need to kind of create a wall between me and them. I, I begin to do that verbally. I literally remember chasing a kid down the hall, Barrett Wilson, and saying, if you're going to live like that, don't call yourself a Christian. That will put walls up between you and your used-to-be friends real quick, okay? I had a lot of maturity to work out in my adolescent faith, all right? But, but what I realize is that we oftentimes do that. We oftentimes in our experiences think no one else will understand the new me, what I've gone through, who it's made me to be. And we begin in our minds to say, I need to isolate. I need to create walls. And sometimes we self-sabotage in that process. And we find ourselves alone, which we already learned that the Lord said, this is not good. And we find ourselves as the Lone Ranger Christian trying to struggle our way through the faith. And we'll quote ourselves verses like, well, they despise the prophets and Jesus, and they're going to despise me. We will quote ourselves these verses to boost up our isolation. Friends, I've been there. And so I can recognize it when I see it in others. And I'm like, don't quote those verses out of context. That's not what the Lord is doing. You are doing this to yourself. And here is what I want to read to us as I knock over my podium. 1 Corinthians 10. And I know that Paul here it says temptation, but I want to talk about experience. No experience has happened to you that isn't common to others. That is huge for us to understand. And for us, you've heard me say it before. I remember um, just probably six months ago even, we were talking about how there's, there's oftentimes we think that, oh no, my pain is going to last forever. This emotional struggle I'm going through is going to last forever. But we never think the good moments are going to last forever. All of it is temporary. None of us are riding that roller coaster thinking, oh God, what if this awesome roller coaster never is? Oh my God. None of us think that life is going to always be awesome. But yet we do that about our problems, about our sicknesses, which 
I mean, Candy, let's be honest. It's been a month and a half. It seems like it's lasted forever in our house. But it's all temporary. Everything we go through is temporary. God is the only constant. And nothing that we're going through isn't common to others around us. This is huge in our growing up process. This is huge when God's saying, for Jesus' sake, grow up. That's what Peter would write in 1 Peter. It's time for you to grow up. Crave the pure spiritual milk. Recognize that what you're going through, you're not the only one. Don't go through it alone. God is, God is faithful. He will not let you go through things beyond your ability. Now, let me give a caveat here. I think sometimes we can say yes. We can step into some things. We can create some circumstances that God never intended for us. Discern the difference. Know when you have opened up Pandora's box for your life versus life happenings that you had no control over. Okay? Things we have no control over can still be very tough. They can still hurt. They can still cause grieving in a process of healing. But there are other things that we had a choice in. We are sleeping in the bed we made. And we're like, but God, I can't bear it anymore. Unfortunately, there's consequences. We reap what we sow. God is still able to redeem, but we have to give it completely to him. The the process is still the same. Lord, I'm going to have to cast all my cares upon you. I'm trusting that you care for me and that I will be able to endure it. Help me learn. Help me learn from my mistakes. And as I got out of high school and, and realized that there were some things that I missed out on, in my, in my high school years, there were some things that I really missed and I still longed for, and it was connection and community. I wanted these things, but I had missed out on connecting. And I, I, I looked up to some youth leaders that I had, and I kind of hung out with some of them. And um, Ross Jones, I still remember him, had a, had a big impact on my life as a teenager. But, but I never opened myself up to be fully transparent about my struggles. I had to figure that out on my own. I sure couldn't let anyone know that this person who was supposed to be spiritual and had this radical experience and chasing kids down the hallway saying if they're going to live like that, sure couldn't let people know what was happening on the inside, how out of control and a roller coaster I was. What would they think then? And because of that, I never experienced community and connection the way God wanted me to. I missed out on that in that season. And I don't want you to miss out on that because you think someone else won't understand that they won't know that it's common to others, that others will be able to relate, even if it's not the details, but they'll be able to have a heart of understanding. And as the people of God, we should be able to look to the people next to us and say, man, I can only imagine. And I'm going to be here with you. The beauty is that in the valley, as we sang, he walks with us. And the greater thing is that he spreads a table in the presence of our enemies. In our deepest and darkest and hardest moments, God says, I'm going to spread something where you can grow and feast and and taste of my goodness in a way you never thought possible before. In the presence of my enemies? No, God, I'd rather do that at Roos Chris, thanks. I'd really not rather do it in the presence of my enemies. Could we not? But that's where the bitter becomes so sweet. Because only the Lord can do that. Lean into him and allow him in that process of community to give us that. And here's what I want for us. I want this 
I want that life that is more abundant. I know that there is a thief. There is a shepherd that is not the real shepherd who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, if you look at this passage. And it's one who is um, very uh, self-destruct. This, this, uh, this shepherd comes and, and has um, his own motives and interests. But there is a true shepherd that Jesus is. He's come so that he could give us a life and give it to its fullest. And I want us to experience that. And, and how do we do that? It, it's not going to be through surfacy relationships. And watch this as we start our life groups this next month. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? A lot of tongue in cheek in that. But I mean, how many of us find ourselves in situations where we're like, oh, I'm going to avoid that. I don't want to deal with the mess right now. But, but you know what? God hasn't designed us to be that way. And that we're never going to be able to see the strengths in others if we don't allow them into our weaknesses. And, and some of, that's on both sides, right? And, and so I really hope that you'll see this in, as we get into a passage of Scripture that I believe the Lord uh, would have us kind of look at this morning as I'm, as I'm winding down. It's going to be John 17. And so just to give a little bit of a background here, what's happening, the context is this is, Almost like Jesus, his high priest prayer. He's, he's about to die. He's headed towards the cross. He knows what's coming upon him. And so he says some final words to his disciples. And I don't know if you've ever been by the bed of someone about to pass away, but those last words, those are usually the most important ones that they're going to utter. It's, uh, it's sometimes forgiveness. It's sometimes reassurance of love. Uh, but they're, they're usually the last ones they want you to remember. Uh, and it and it has something to to be very heartfelt and, and important to them, and so that's where Christ is at in this moment, when he's with his boys, knowing what's ahead of him, his death being imminent. He says this. He says, "I am praying for them." Speaking of his disciples, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. And I would say us in this house today, for they are yours. Verse 10, he says, all mine are yours, speaking of God the Father, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So in one of his final prayers, he's praying that we would experience a unity. And I think about this, I'm like, first of all, God is, is praying that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. So I'm like, wait a minute. We got the Father, the Son, the Holy. We got three, and he's saying they're one. So already Jesus' math isn't real good. And so, but he's praying for us to be one, which we're obviously very distinct. He's not praying that we would be uniform, but that we would have unity. He's not praying that we would all be the same. What joy is, is in that, in our, in our uniqueness and creativity? But he's praying that we would know and bear the image of God together. That we would not be alone. That male and females, he created us to walk in this life together in this house. That we would be a support to one another. That we would be able to lean on one another when we need it. That we would be able to rejoice with one another. And so Jesus continues his prayer. And I'm going to skip to verse 14. He says, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And so Jesus is praying this prayer, and I believe that he even sees that there are going to be some things that are going to come against us in the answer to what he has just prayed in our unity. 
God, don't let the enemy deceive them and divide them. Don't let them think that they need to walk in isolation. Don't let the enemy sneak in and plant these subtle thoughts that are not going to answer the thing that they need the most, which is each other. That I will be in their midst, that where two or three are gathered in my name, that they will experience me in my greatness and they will know and represent us as a triune God well in their individualism, but also uniqueness, but in their unity as one. And so I I just want to lay this out before us that this week, take some communal risk. For those that maybe it's coming to church on Sundays, start fellowshipping. Start hanging, text someone, grab someone's number. You're new to the church, exchange your contact info with someone. Find a way to take a communal risk this week For us, we're getting ready to launch life groups for a reason because I want us to get back to a place where, hey, we're developing relationships that are deeper than what we can just do, passing by one another on a Sunday morning, coming on a Wednesday. Let's gather around a table. Let's be in homes together. That is what they devoted themselves to. Let's find ourselves growing together because we're connected. And that's why we have life group signups in the back. That's why we're having women's group tonight. That's why we're trying to provide opportunities, even willing to say, hey, we're going to dissolve a pattern that we've had in this church because it's this important. Because we need to create space to where we are connected. We want to encounter the Lord, but we want to create a place where we can be connected together. And I don't want competing elements. I don't want you having to choose, well, do I go to that other service? Do I join this other event? Do I do, or do I go to a small group? Do I get in a home? I want you to be able to say, hey, this is going to be a part of my week. I can do this. It's going to be, I'm going to show up on Sunday and then I'm going to be a part of a life group. I'm going to be plugged in. And that's why we're doing that. And if those, if you're the regular church girl, join one. If you've been in a life group, lead one. If you're leading a group, be transparent. Take a communal risk. Be willing to put yourself out there because community is risky. It is risky relationships are risky. They're messy, but they far outweigh the alternative of being isolated and alone and not walking in the fullness that God has destined for us. Amen. Bruce, would you come up? Bruce. Let's encourage Bruce as he waltzes down the aisle. For me, our life groups will do a few things. They will, they will target what I consider the ships of, of the church, discipleship. Uh, we'll see um, relationships and even leadership growing. It creates opportunities for us to develop relationships. That's like right off the cuff there. You see that immediately. It allows us to really dive into the word together, to discuss things, to be interactive. Discipleship can begin happening. Hopefully life on life happens. That's the idea. That's what we want to work towards. We want to create that opportunity and it gives an opportunity for leadership, for people to say, hey, I'll host, I'll, I'll open my home or I'll, I'll lead, I'll facilitate. And man, it's not rocket science. Uh, rocket science. It's, it's just being willing and being a vessel and saying, God, here I am, use me. I want to be a part of this community building process that you're about. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that today was a real practical uh, topic. It, it maybe didn't have as much of the of the nuts and bolts, but God, it can be so life-changing if we'll allow it, God. And I just believe that this morning, there's folks that need it. They're needing community right now more than ever. 
They're needing your people now more than they have in, in years and decades. And some are floundering in a place that if they continue alone is going to lead to destruction for them. And they know it because they've got to reach out to someone. They need to put that hand above the water and ask for help. And God, I just pray that this would be a moment where they say, this is it. I, I'm going to do it. I feel like the Lord is, is really saying this is now that they would reach out and begin to develop relationships that are meaningful, that are going to lead to spiritual challenge and change. God, I know you're going to be in this process. Lord, would you help us do this and do it well? God, would you help us carve the things out of our calendar that maybe are just fluff and distraction and busyness and prioritize the things that your word says we should be devoted to? And if this morning you're here in this house with nobody looking around and you would say, Michael, I, I am just walking through some things in life that I need prayer for. I can't continue to walk through some of these things alone. There's some confusion. There's some hurt. There are some places in my life that if God doesn't show up, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And I want to be praying for you and with you this week. Would you just slip up your hands right now? Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We find grace and healing in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. God, I just pray for those folks that responded this morning. Holy Spirit, come. I pray right now, I'm just going to ask that you would just give a heavenly hug. First and foremost, Lord, let them know that you're near them. Would you just wrap your presence and your arms around them? Let them feel your love, that you have not left them. God, I just pray that you would overwhelm them with your peace right now. God, I just pray that they would just have this ability to walk out of some things that have been heavy on them. Lord, that they're going to have grace in moments that have been a struggle. Lord, they're going to sense your favor as they have just clarity on what they're supposed to do next. God, some you're giving direction. Others you're removing and healing hurts. Others, Lord, I believe you're just beginning to just say, I, I'm, I haven't abandoned you. God, I believe you're speaking right now specifically to folks your word of healing and comfort to them. Holy Spirit, do what only you can. Thank you, Lord, for that. God, as we go out of this place, help us to not walk away from these words and not put them into action. We want to look in the mirror and look and reflect and say, I'm going to be a doer of your word. Help us, God, to be joined together and know that we are better, not alone, but together. We thank you, Jesus, that you are with us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.